Greetings, listeners. It is I, D.B. Spitzer, and Farmer Dave, here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu Mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits, like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian leaning. Once more we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You- hey everyone. It's me, TV. Just reminding you. We have t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com. Check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shower curtains in there. Keep clean, look cool, have cool stickers to put on stuff. Recorded by Marty on the central coast of California. Astounding Story 6, June 1930, Section 19. The drums were rolling softly in their rhythmic beat. The priest who entered showed annoyance at the delay. They gave a curt order and motioned the three to follow. Outside the corridor was broad, and the double rows of lights on either side glowed brightly to illumine a pageant, grotesque and terrible in its barbaric splendor. The drums throbbed louder. Jerry saw them in their fire of burnished metal, beaten by the bands of naked men. Beyond, a group of warriors waited. Stalwart and strongly muscled, they stood erect in copper armor beside a platform of metal bars, whose floor was of latticed gold. The victims were placed upon it to stand erect. Jerry balanced himself upon the golden floor as the warriors raised it slowly to their shoulders. Priests in robes of heavy golden rope were ranged about. They formed a guard and escort, ten deep, about the living sacrifice. At that the drums increased their volume, and to this was added a nerve-wracking, discordant and rasping jangle when sheets of copper, paper-thin, were struck with a heavy hand. The pulsing, throbbing pandemonium was terrific as the march began. Slowly they made their way through a winding gallery. Slowly they came to where a portal, high-arched, gave entrance upon the great hall. Solemnly, proudly, the priests led the way as they circled the vast room. Their wrappings of gold were a scintillant quiver of light. Above each hard face a circle of gold, symbol of the sun, was borne imperiously high. The priestly guards surrounded the platform where the three standing figures were huddled, and behind, and on either side, the men with the drums and the discordant, ringing sheets gave full force to their blows. The high vault above thundered and roared to the thunder and roar of the drums, and high over all a wailing began. The thin shrillness beat with the tempo of the drums in a pitch that steadily descended. The glittering procession had come to rest at its appointed place in the pathway of light as the wailing came down to a moan. Oong! Oong! The voices groaned, while the walls re-echoed the despairing tones. Only from the band of warriors did the ear of Jerry Foster detect anything but misery and despair. The priests were silent, but the warriors, in their shining armor, stood erect and roared out the syllables in exultant joy. The priests were now upon the dais, the rocky platform, divided by the great, glowing parabola of light. 
they stood erect as a new high priest, replacing the one Jerry had killed, crossed to bow and grovel in the radiance from their god. The room was silent with the silence of a great tomb as the march of the death began. Softly from the silence the drums resumed the merest whisper of their former thunderous booming. Beside him Jerry heard the soft sobs of a girl. One of the figures swayed and threatened to fall as the platform was lowered to rest upon the floor. The other pressed close to support the drooping figure. Now the entire directed ray of light from the round, glowing hole struck full upon them. It blinded and dazzled, yet plain and distinct Jerry saw at its heart the circle of blackness, the eye of the mysterious, hypnotic parabola, the entrance to what lay beyond. The beat of the drums was hypnotic, as if in a trance he saw, at the sight of the way they must go, the form of the head priest beckoned them on. The two victims at his side took one step on the path to their death, and the same stiff rigidity held Jerry as he, too, moved onward and up the golden ramp. The drums were bearing them on. Louder they throbbed in a steady crescendo to carry the three rigid figures a step at a time up the pathway of light. The priest, Jerry felt more than he saw, was beside them. Close ahead was the blackness that held the set stare of his eyes. One of the golden figures was before him. He saw the priest reach out to take the helmet from her head. The movement aroused him from his numb horror. An impulse to escape surged through him. Every nerve was tense and ready for a spring. He looked quickly about. The warriors were behind, the priest ready on their platform to direct them. And in the doorway, from where he had first seen this chamber, on the only way he knew that led to freedom, another figure, tall in its priestly robes, blocked the passage. Hopeless, he knew. And then there swept through him a wave of hate. Gone was his horror, and gone the dull deadness of brain and body. There, facing him, was the mouth of the pit, where waited a something horrible, rapacious, demanding the lives of these people, of Marana, of others, more and yet more. No, no thought now of life or escape. For the moment, Jerry Foster's whole being held nothing but hot hate and the wish for revenge. Before him the priest was stripping the robe from the girl at his feet. She stood like a statue, a carving of purest alabaster, slim and erect in her white slender nakedness, and the face that he saw through incredulous eyes was that of Marana. Marana? The realization and quick understanding held him spellbound. She had come, had taken the robes from another poor victim. To be with him in this, the last hour, Marana, a princess among these strange folk, was giving her life when another could have been in her place, and she smiled tremulously, bravely, as her eyes locked with his, as speechless and spellbound, he stared through the eyelets of gold. The priest was reaching for his headdress, Jerry tensed, the moment had come. He was ready. As the weight left his shoulders, he dropped, and with one swift movement, his golden disguise. The robe fell in folds at his feet. He stared in silence through narrowing eyes at the face of the head priest above him. Then, leaping straight up, 
he fastened one hand sinewy sun-browned and strong on the white neck below the white face they crashed back to land on the ramp and roll struggling toward the edge jerry's hold never slackened he felt his fingers sink deep in the flesh he came to his knees then up to hold the writhing figure at arm's length then heaving with all his strength he whipped the man into the air to drag him in one leaping bound for the sheltering darkness beyond a figure was entering with him a slim naked figure with glowing and worshiping eyes behind them the silence was shattered jerry saw as he stepped from the light the riot of figures that surged in hysterical frenzy through the great hall the priests were leaping among them the tall priest who had guarded the door was fighting his way through the mob jerry loosened his quivering hand from the throat it held he cast the figure from him and he blinked his eyes to make them serve him in the blackness all about beside him a form invisible in the dark was stroking at his face and a voice was whispering tremulously cherry 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 the tumult in the great hall reached them but faintly jerry foster strove desperately to focus his eyes in that darkness of utter night a dim glow from the portal crept softly in to bring faint illumination to the farther wall slowly his eyes found that which they feared yet sought off in the dark directly opposite the entrance was a white and ghostly thing formless and vague it wavered and blurred to his straining eyes he fumbled clumsily for a match one of his treasured store he must see he must know what was waiting the match flared to a point of brilliance in the murky gloom it showed on the floor where they stood a litter of dried vegetation food doubtless placed there as an offering it was dry now and dusty and through it there shone the bleak whiteness of bones beyond was the floor and beyond that the whiteness that had been but a blur grew sharply distinct jerry could not have told what he expected the light to disclose certainly it was not the heaping of coils milk-white and ghastly that took the shape before his staring eyes above them was a head hung in the air it was motionless lifeless almost like the coiled body that it held but the eyes black and staring in the bloated bulging head made its poised stillness the more deadly even in the dark jerry had sensed the hypnotic spell of unseen eyes visible they held him in a rigid unreasoning terror unreal unthinkable this serpent-like horror tremendous and ghastly in its loathsome whiteness a dweller in the dark used by the priest as a symbol and a threat for the ignorant folk who trusted and believed them and it held him stilled and stricken in its evil spell the flame was scorching jerry's hand that nervously opened to release the match the man was like a statue frozen to mental deadness about his feet a light was playing unseen a bit of the dry stuff sprang brightly to yellow flame neither seeing nor feeling the figure of jerry foster stood held in the deadly magic of the malignant eyes dimly he sensed that the prostrate body on the floor was that of marana vaguely he knew when the form of the priest took a halting step forward the fire his match had kindled was rising about his feet the flames seared and stabbed with a pain that reached his dulled brain quivering and shaken the body of jerry foster reacted again to a conscious thought he leapt quickly as the deadly witchery left him and he tore the smoldering cloth with his legs and now he knew the thing before him for what it was shocking in its gigantic size 
more so in the concentrated venom of its gaze. It was the flabby, scaly, and crusted whiteness of the thing that filled his being with a deadly nausea. He stared with a sickened fascination at the flabby, drooping pouches beside the mouth, the distorted, bulging head, and the short legs, armed with long, curving talons, legs that sprang from out of the neck to clutch and tear at what the jaws might hold. Deadly and hateful, loathsome beyond all imagining, still Jerry Foster found it was something a man could meet, its devilish power to paralyze, and still the soul of him was gone. He snatched quickly for the gun at his belt and knelt to aim, then checked his finger on the trigger. The figure of the priest had come between him and the monster. The golden robe was dragging. It fell to the floor to gleam dully in the flickering light of the fire. Against the heaping coils of white the priest was outlined. Drawn, as Jerry sensed, against the protest of every fiber of his being, yet one stiff step at a time he went faltering on. The hair above his white face was torn in disarray, and the face itself, so exultantly fierce in its hour of triumph, now a mask of quivering, hopeless terror. The head of the monster came slowly to life. It raised and raised into the air. The mouth gaped open with a hoarse, sucking sound, then struck like a whip of light at the doomed priest. His screams, as the thing descended upon him, rang through the roar of the forty-five. Jerry fired again where the black eyes showed above the writhing body of their prey. The head jerked backward to tower in the darkness overhead. The mouth disgorged its contents on the floor. Only for a shuddering instant did the monster pause. Then it launched its great bulk in a counterattack, while the automatic poured out the rest of its futile lead. The gun was knocked from his grasp as the great head smashed past, swerved from its aim by the blinding bullets. Jerry knew only that his knife was in his hand as the great scabrous coils closed inevitably about him. Vaguely he heard shouting from behind as the writhing folds engulfed him. He stabbed blindly at the scaly mass. Again and again his knife ripped slashingly at the abhorrence that grew near him. Then his arm, too, was caught in the crushing loathsome embrace. He felt no pain. The pressure alone was insufferable. His head was drawn back. Above him the horrible eyes glared into his. There was blood dripping from the jaws. He saw in it the brilliance of a light that flashed in blue heat overhead. There came in his ears a vast roaring of sound, a great heat blast that scorched and burned his face. The crushing pressure was relaxed. He went reeling to the floor as the great coils whirred high into the air. He was stunned by the fall, his body inert and relaxed. But he knew through it all that from somewhere above there was a shrieking of gas, blue roaring flames, a flame that tore blastingly into a writhing contortion beyond. The tall figure of a priest was bending over him, but it was the voice of Winslow that was in his ears, a blessed human voice when it awoke. Thank God I made it, the voice was saying over and over. Thank God I found the ship and I got back here in time. There was light within the cavern. The burning fungus was extinguished by the smothering coils that had crushed upon it, but beyond was a waving plume of yellow where a blue flame shot against a wall of rock, and Jerry, through the stress and riot of emotion that overwhelmed him, laughed chokingly, wildly at the words of his companion. It is sodium, Winslow was saying in explanation, as he saw Jerry's eyes resting on the light, a hydrogen flame, but there's sodium in the rocks that turns the flame yellow. I rigged up a flamethrower of hydrogen. 
You would, Jerry gasped through hysterical laughter. You would do just that, and make your way back to this hell just to save me, you damn fool inventor. He clung to Winslow, who was raising him to his feet. Marana was beside him, robed in the golden garment of the priest. She placed her hands beside his face to turn him toward the further wall. The light was fickle, but it showed him, as it rose and fell, the blackened, swollen body of the monster still writhing in its death struggle. And beside it, blasted and charred, the head of the obscene sun-god, severed by the cutting, obliterating blast, lay flabby and black in a silent heap. Rather effective, said Winslow complacently, though I didn't have much to work with. Two small vials of my liquid and a hand generator to furnish the current. A tubular strut from the frame of the ship made the blowpipe. And these? Jerry questioned and pointed to the priest's vestments that Winslow still wore. Oh, it was all quiet up above, said the inventor, and I came down the rope, but there was one of them waiting at the bottom. He didn't need these any more when I left, so I took them to help get about. He stopped to cross quickly and pick up the flamethrower as the flame died away. It roared as he worked at the mechanism, then dwindled again. The light, for an instant, was reflected in a liquid on the floor. Broken, said Winslow in an anguished voice. The vials are gone, smashed, and I counted on this to hold off the mob to get us safely out. He regarded the instrument with silent dismay. The blue flame, as he held it, flickered and died. Not so good, said Jerry slowly. He stopped to retrieve the knife. This, he reflected, was their sole weapon of defense. In the dim light, his eyes met with Winslow's in mutual comprehension of their plight. There were caverns beyond, dark and forbidding. Did they lead to the outer world? Or, instead, was it not probable that they went to some deep subterranean dens from which this monster had learned to come at the priest's summons? Jerry put from his mind all thought of escape in that direction, and Marana, too, he told Winslow, what will become of her? The girl got the essence of the question, fumbling for phrases that they knew. She made them believe that she was safe. Her people, she told them, would protect her. Yes, Jerry agreed. I guess that's right. She's a princess, you know, he reminded Winslow, and the great mass of the people look up to her. Only the priests and warrior gangs will be opposed. But how can we get through them? The question was unanswered. We've got to knock them cold some way, said the inventor. Got to give them a fright that will last till they let us get through. Once at the big shaft where we came down, we can make our getaway. But how to do it? His voice died away in dismal thought. Jerry's eyes were casting about. The priest's robe? No, not good enough. It had brought Winslow through, but it couldn't take them back. Marana? No help there. She had enough to do to protect herself from the fury of the priests. End of section 19. Recorded by Marty on the central coast of California. To the Cthulhu Mythos, you can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show, how to support our guests, and thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. 
It's the people's guide to the Cthulhu mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show.